You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a wealth cap holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Hey, everybody. Uh, Devin here, your host for the Portfolio Builders podcast. I am super excited to have Michael Lush here with me today. Michael is, I like to call him the HELOC guru. Thank you. Yep, HELOC guru. Um, so we'll give just a couple minutes for you guys to jump on. Let us know in the comments throughout if you have any questions about anything that you would like for us to chat about, and we would be happy to answer those. Um, Michael, for those that don't know who you are, why don't you share a little bit about your your background and how you got the honor of being the HELOC guru. Guru, guru sounds like yeah. I should also know yoga, which I don't. <laughs> I do. Oh, good luck getting me doing yoga. Um, so I started off in the mortgage industry literally right out of college and did it for 17 years and went broke because um, I was during the subprime days. Money came fast. Uh, fun was just as fast and mm. frequent as money was. And uh, I rose through the ranks and it was a publicly traded company, ninth largest lender in the world, out of the world, the, the country. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very easy. And, and again, I, right out of college, I didn't even know what a mortgage was. But I knew I could sell money, and that's essentially what we were doing. And in, on my birthday, December 17th in 2007, uh, the company filed bankruptcy. So we all know about the 2008 meltdown. Mm-hmm. So previous to the 2008, that's when the companies started folding, and the company I worked for uh, at the time was a senior manager, um, filed bankruptcy. So... I didn't save a single penny, nor was I a good steward of my money, and essentially went broke because of that. So the same company was resurrected nine months later, and it called me and said, hey, you're in Nashville. We'd like to open back up under a new umbrella, and we got our funds from a hedge fund, and we would like you to be director of operations. So I said, absolutely. I'm broke. What else have I got to do? Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, just to kind of regress a little bit, uh, that we'll get into later on. I had a HELOC in 2005 that I refinanced to a mortgage because I didn't know then what I do, what I know today. If I did, things would look a lot different today. Um, so was director of operations. And again, we got our, our funds from a hedge fund and the hedge fund was located in Connecticut and the owner's parents lived in Clarksville. So he would fly to Nashville. And when he was in Nashville, he'd stop off at the office and kind of mentor me. And I took an opportunity one, in one meeting to say, look, I need to get in your sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. At the time, he's probably worth six or seven hundred million billionaire today. And I said, if I can get in your sphere of influence, I'm good at what I do. You technically own this company via your hedge fund. So we'll be scratching each other's backs. He said, that's all well and good, but my sphere of influence doesn't do mortgages. I was like, eh, kind of figured that. You guys pay cash for everything. He said, no. Um, actually, we use other people's money. And still, even if you're uber wealthy, but we typically use home equity lines of credit or business lines of credit. And everything I'd been trained in the mortgage business was that a line of credit was bad. It's like having a credit card on your home. Right. Credit cards are bad. HELOCs are bad. You don't want that. So he took about 10 or 15 minutes to explain the strategy to me. Mm-hmm. Didn't go super in depth, um, but he explained the strategy. And it basically, w- one thing that stuck out was he said, mortgages is selling financial crack to middle America. Okay. Yeah. And this was my career. This is what I was good at. So that didn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. So I spent a year researching this strategy. And honestly, my goal was to prove it wrong. 
because if I could prove it wrong, then I could earn his business. Gotcha. And the more I tried to prove it wrong, I proved him right. And it was in 2014. So I started practicing this personally in 2012. But in 2014, I was being interviewed because I was growing branches at the time for, I think it was Mortgage Success. It was a podcast back before podcasts are, are what they are today. So on that interview, it was a, a marketing mentor of mine, and uh, he's just asking me, how do you grow mortgage companies and mortgage branches? Mm-hmm. So I'm going through that, and I'm kind of going through the motions. And he said, all right, last thing before we get off the air, what is one nugget that people can take away that most people don't know about the mortgage industry that would impact their lives? And obviously, me sharing this secret is, is really shooting myself in the foot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whatever, I'll do it anyways. So I shared the strategy and we rambled for an extra 30 minutes and off air, he called me and he said, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. He said, more people need to know about that. He said, the other thing I noticed was when you were talking about mortgages, you didn't have the same energy level as when you started talking about this strategy that mm-hmm. you're personally practicing for the last couple of years. And at that time, I was only one year away from paying off my house within inside of three years, utilizing the strategy that we now teach. That gave me chills. Yeah. Like legit. So he said, you've got to build a business around this. So in 2014, that's what I did. I created a course, an online course, went down to his boot camp. So he kind of showed me Facebook ads and how to drive traffic to a website and how to appropriately structure your message. And, and the best thing was to build an actual course that's congruent that actually educates people. And within 60 days, I was earning enough money that I could completely abandon the mortgage industry and been doing it ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I had never heard of the first lien HELOC. And I've been a real estate professional for a while, mm-hmm. an agent and, you know, all of that. People right. watching hopefully know who I am. Um, <laughs> and I had never heard of a first lien HELOC until I came to work here yeah. and learned it from Taylor. Right. Which Taylor's a buddy of yours and mm-hmm. a client of yours, I think. And, and you helped him um, with the first lien HELOC on his house. But right. I never... And you would think somebody who'd worked in the real estate industry would have a clue. <laughs> first, first lien is definitely something that's different and not normal. And, you know, the strategy is not new, though. The strategy has been around for well over 100 years. It's what we used to do in America prior to 1913, before the induction of the Federal Reserve. So mortgages looked a lot different prior to 1913 than they do today. Now they're closed in compounding interest loans. And they're designed to segregate your income. But prior to 1913, our grandfathers, great-grandfathers, you heard the stories. They buy real estate or their home, their primary residence. They have it paid off in five to ten years. Hmm. Not only were they more disciplined, I think they were a better generation, but they also had better tools. Because a mortgage was an open-end loan at the time. It wasn't until after 1913 that the Fed and banks started utilizing it to segregate income to increase core deposits. So really all we're doing is going back to basics. Other countries still practice this today, and they've never stopped. Australia is a prime example. 80% of Australians utilize this strategy. They are also the highest rate of second home ownership. So most Australians own two homes, and they pay them off on average of 14 years, where the average American doesn't even pay a home off in 30 years. Wow. Why? Because this is what they do. They do something that's very simple. And I personally think the reason why America hasn't adopted this is because we can afford, as an economy and as the average American, we can afford to get ripped off. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And that's essentially what's happening today. So it's my mission and my goal 
to one person at a time, change that dynamic and change their legacy, and hopefully it spreads and ripple effects so that it can change the entire country. That's awesome. So for folks who didn't catch our first session or they're new to the group or you know just tuning in, can we talk a little bit about the difference between a first lien HELOC and yes. a second lien? Yeah. So, sorry, I didn't explain that better. So, most people think of a HELOC as in second lien position. It's a loan that you can get that is based on the equity you have above and beyond your mortgage and the value of your home. However, no one asked a banker, and this is one of the reasons why our company is so unique, because I think we're probably one of the few, if not the only companies that practices this in first lien. We're an advocate of first lien. And the reason being is almost my entire staff have been in the mortgage business and we are bankers. And no one thought to ask a banker, could I just refinance my mortgage and make it a HELOC, which would make it a first lien position home equity line of credit. Mm -hmm. When you do so, you massively reduce the risk to the bank. And when you reduce risk to a bank, you also reduce risk to yourself. So in second lien position, especially during a time like this in coronavirus, banks are nervous especially if you're overextended and you've got a mortgage that's at 70% loan to value and you've got a HELOC in second lien position Mm -hmm. for another 20%. So you owe 90% of the value of the home. Well, if you get laid off or you foreclose for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. that bank in second lien position is not guaranteed a crumb. Gotcha. However, if they're in first lien position, they're not nearly as nervous. They have collateral rights to the house And what that does is it minimizes the bank of freezing your home equity line of credit. So for a lot of people, that's what they heard about in 2008. 1981 was HELOCs got frozen. Yes, some did. California, Memphis, Atlanta, Miami, Vegas. So in select markets, you definitely had HELOCs getting frozen, but they were primarily an overwhelming majority were in second lien position. Gotcha. However, those that were in first lien position, because there were people executing this strategy, for several decades in this country. Mm-hmm. Millions of, of Americans, believe it or not. So the hedge funds, actually one of the ones that I helped another bank partner with, has data that they had one company that they were buying first lien paper from that had been doing first lien HELOCs for several decades. Guess how many, how many defaults they had during that meltdown? Probably very few. Yeah, they did thousands of transactions. Mm-hmm. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Zero. 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 Like none at all. To this day, they still have zero. Wow. Because a HELOC, and we'll get into it in a little bit, it's not just something you utilize in times of thriving. Mm -hmm. It can actually be a very beneficial tool in times of surviving. Not only does it have a lower payment, but you can mechanize a HELOC if you've got the equity on the line to not only pay itself, but also pay you. Yeah. And it allows you to weather the storm. So this is why I've been massively promoting this during coronavirus. And also, I've got a new course that is massively discounted because I think especially right now, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that could benefit from having a first lien position HELOC. You get furloughed, you get laid off, you have income reduction. If you've got that line of credit, you've got instant access to your equity. Mm -hmm. But if you have a mortgage and you have equity and then you have a loss of income, you go to refinance to get access to it. You're up a creek. Good luck. Yeah. But a HELOC, you have access to it Mm 24-7. So those folks can now rely on that to pay them and weather the storm until they get back on their feet. Now, does that help them pay it off? No, no. The the balance is going up and creeping up, but that's a heck of a lot better than foreclosure. Yeah. Yeah. Or selling the house. We've had about a half a dozen clients that this literally not only saved their marriage, but it saved their home. 
Wow. Because they were able to rely on, they've been executing on the strategy for two or three years, massively paying it down. And all of a sudden, coronavirus happens. Maybe they own restaurants or businesses that are impacted because of coronavirus. And now they can fall back on their HELOC to pay them. That's amazing. And, and bridge that gap. And most people, I mean, they just don't know. No. They just don't know. Yeah. Banks, banks don't push them. Unless they, we run into a guy like you, yeah. I think the average person just doesn't even know that this is available it, to them. The and that's why I'm so excited about your new course. Thank you. Because a lot of people really need this information. Yeah. We made it as affordable as possible. We just want to get the information out. Once you, you know, I explained the price to you, it's 97 bucks. It's not going to make any of us rich. Right. I mean, there's not enough people listening or, or even in this country for 97 bucks for that to make us rich. I want to get the information out so that we can impact lives. And if we impact lives, the dollars will follow. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited to talk with you in a little bit more depth, too, about how people can utilize HELOCs with investment property, either accessing mm-hmm. the equity that's in their primary to use for investing yep. or... I know we went to lunch a couple weeks ago, and you mentioned that you can actually use a HELOC to do a purchase, mm-hmm. and that just that just blows my mind. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people think that you get a HELOC after you acquire the home, and you don't have to. There, there are banks. There's not a lot. You know, we've investigated a thousand different banks and credit unions, and out of those thousand different banks and credit unions, there's probably 50 that will do it on a purchase transaction. Okay. So what that means is you're buying a home and you're not leveraging another property, but you're buying that home not with a mortgage, you're buying it with a HELOC. Mm-hmm. Anywhere from 10, if it's an investment property, 20% down, no different than a mortgage. Most mortgages require 20% down, but you can acquire a HELOC with 20% down on a rental property or 10%. It used to be prior to coronavirus, 5%. And I even had one that was doing 100%. What? And I I told him, I said, are you sure it's 100%? In the couple transactions, they said, yes. I unleashed my group onto them. Three weeks later, they said, okay, we got to pull back the reins. We've been lending too much. So I said, yeah, that was a really good program. But now after coronavirus, banks, there's lots of banks out there that can do 90% financing. So 10% down, you start off in a HELOC with no mortgage insurance. HELOCs do not have mortgage insurance. That's awesome. Ever. That's awesome. A lot of people don't have to pay the PMI on investment property, but they do have to make that 20% down. Right. You know, so, um, and you just let me know whenever you want to share the presentation that you put together. Yeah, let's go ahead and get right into it. Okay, cool. I will share my screen with you guys and let Michael take a sip of water. That was vodka. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That would be gagging right now if that was vodka. Oh, that was good. You could fill it up with bourbon. We could call it sweet tea. There's some in Taylor's office. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, you know, on was it Monday? Taylor was interviewing me for the podcast because mm-hmm. I just closed on a property. He was... I'm pretty sure he was sipping whiskey. Hey, while he when was you're the boss, you, <laughs> you, you make do, the rules, right? He who holds the gold makes all the rules. Whatever you want. So yeah. I don't want to mess up the, uh, yeah, no the view there, but you can. And they can see the screen, correct? Yeah. Everybody right. everybody that's watching can um, can see the screen, so you can click through at sure. your leisure. All right. So let's use an example. Let's say you've got a home that's paid off 350000 and you did that inside of five years. And if you want to use a calculator, you can go to replaceyourmortgage.com, and we have a calculator on there. And I'm going to show you some of the calculations from this calculator. Um, and and I know I'm saying this is paying off your home, um, and I'll get into why you actually shouldn't pay off your home. 
but just for easy examples, I'm going to show you if you paid off your home, it's $350,000 and you did so in five years, which our average client pays their home off in five to seven years. That's just got a text today from Edmund, who's one of my consultants that works with us. He got a, a text from a client. It was 13 months. I think it was 13 months. It might have been 15. It was months. It wasn't 20 plus months. So very, very fast. Now, that's not normal. They had excessive cash flow. Mm-hmm. But I'll show you where average folks can do so easily within inside of five to seven years. So let's say now you've got 350000 of available funds because you did this with a home equity line of credit. You didn't do this with a mortgage. You used a home equity line of credit. You paid it off in five years, but you still got access to that three fifty anytime you want. Okay. So why don't we use those funds to buy another asset? So your home should continue to appreciate, let's say, roughly 2 to 4% annually. Mm-hmm. But the cash in your home, this is an important topic for people to understand. Equity in your home is in there at 0% excluding in- inflation. The home appreciates, but the cash that represents your equity is at 0%. Let me give you another example. Let's say you have $300,000. You put it in a tin can. You bury it in the backyard. What is the tin can worth 30 years from now? Same. That's really hard math. I mean, minus... Minus three percent in in inflation. Good. It's still three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But what does that buy you? One hundred and twenty-two thousand. Wow. Yeah, that's how much you've lost in buying power because of inflation. So that money is called velocity. It needs to be in place. So we got to start thinking like banks do. If we want to have money like banks, we got to start thinking like banks. What do banks do? Banks get deposits. What do they need to do? They need to get that money out quick. Lend it. Lend it. Lend it. It's called arbitrage. What are they paying you when you make deposits? Zero percent, right? Yeah. National average is 0.17 percent. But then they'll lend it back to you at three and four percent. That is thousands of percent rate of return. Yeah. (laughs) So we need to do the same thing. Now, we don't have the ability to have a cost of funds at zero percent on a HELOC. Now, there are some HELOCs at 0.99 intro rates, Mm -hmm. but we still have very cheap cost of funds. So let's say we had a HELOC at four percent, but you lent it out let's say hard money lender, somebody's wanting to flip a house. There's all all kinds, infinite ways that you could lend money out and put it in motion to make money. But you lend that 4% out, but you charge them 12%. What's the rate of return? I actually had a Wall Street guy tell me this week, 8%. You're not a Wall Street guy. That's the margin. The margin is 8%. The rate of return is 200%. Wow. Yeah. Now, the stock market's doing really well. Mm-hmm. If you're buying Tesla and following Jerry, Jeremy Newsom, real life trading, you're probably doing pretty well. But you're not doing 200% rate of return. No. So this is ways that you leverage your equity and constantly put it in motion so that it's not sleeping money. It's working for you. Mm-hmm. So again, the cash in your home is stagnant at 0%. 0% is a horrible rate of return. Um, now, keep in mind, the money that is borrowed may be tax deductible. And I'll get into effective interest rates here in a little bit, and we'll talk about taxation on that. Cool. But there's other vehicles that can increase your net worth at low risk. So now you can take advantage of investing large amounts of money like the big players do. All right. So uh, let's say you want to get into real estate, which is what this podcast is about. Yeah. So you can buy rental property without having to go through the mortgage process. You know, I had an associate that his house was paid off and his neighbor was foreclosing and it was going to happen in four days. Okay. Well, he had paid off his home utilizing our strategy on a home equity line of credit. If he needed to go get a hard money loan, you could get hard money loans pretty quick, but I don't know if you can get them in four days. Long story short, he had a HELOC. So even though he had paid it off, he didn't close it. He still had access to all of that equity. Mm -hmm. So he was able to pay cash for that home before it foreclosed, 
Not only did he do a benefit to the person who's about to get foreclosed on, because that's no longer on his record. It didn't go on his record because he avoided foreclosure. Uh, my associate not only paid for his house, but gave him ten dollars or $15,000 to get him back on his feet and get him moved. Mm-hmm. He rehabbed the house and then rented it out. Not only did it improve the value of that house, but then he turned around and got a HELOC on it to get all of his money back. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So make sure I'm not missing anything. All right. So again, he he was approved because he had cash inside of his HELOC. And people don't realize that, that the HELOC is no different than your checking account. It's liquid. With these HELOCs, you're getting debit cards, checks, online bill pay. You can transfer money back and forth. It is liquid to you 24-7. So it's no different than having cash. But instead of having our cash sitting in a, a money market account or a checking account or a savings account, what is really a liability, because again, they're not giving you anything, you're losing value, Right. you have it in your HELOC, so every dollar you earn and make is actually being put into play. Mm-hmm. It's called 100% income utilization. So here's an example. Buy a $100,000 property, your payment's going to be $349 a month on a HELOC, but you rent it out for 1000 bucks a month. Now you're using the renter's income combined with your strategy to pay the home off even faster because now what you've accumulated is an additional $651 a month of additional cash flow. Yeah. And when you're utilizing this strategy, one of the most important parts of it is cash flow positivity. Good luck Googling that term. I made it up. It's a redneck term. (laughs) But I call it cash flow positivity. And that's that margin between what's going out and what you bring in. Mm -hmm. And the wider you create that margin, and it, you know... You've got the Dave Ramsey method that focuses on the expense side. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But I think in this day and age, with so many tools and so many opportunities available to us, let's start focusing on the other side. Let's maximize income. Mm -hmm. It's just as easy to go out and create an extra 300 bucks a month as it is to reduce $300 a month. Mm -hmm. So now you've got additional cash flow coming in. So you may have used your HELOC. So, and I'll get into this here in a little bit with a graph. You may have used your HELOC, you're paying it down, paying it down, all of a sudden, boom, you have a blip on the radar because you've cashed out, got a hundred grand, but now you're starting to pay it off and the trajectory is steeper because you just created another cash flow asset. Yeah. So instead of making 5,000 bucks a month, now you're making 56, 51 a month. So you're paying it off faster and you do that time and time again, it snowballs on itself. And we'll get into that here in a second. So with this, you're going to have multiple properties on free and clear You've just created another asset with $1,000 per month in additional cash flow, right? And you do this repeatedly and you create cash cow after cash cow. So here's an example. Let's say we're, we're buying investment properties. And this is the calculator that you'll see on our website at replaceyourmortgage.com. So start off with a balance of three forty-five. dollars Interest rate, this is dated 4.99. Again, interest rates on HELOCs are very similar to mortgages with the exception of there are some HELOCs that have some very attractive intro rates. Okay. 0.99. I'm currently on a 1.99 now. So, and then even if you got into the variables, you're in the threes. Uh, there are some fixed rates that are still in the threes. So 4.99 is just being ultra conservative. And I also want to point out that the rate change per year, we're assuming that you don't get a fixed rate. We're assuming that it's variable. And we're also assuming that rates are going to skyrocket. Gotcha. Every single year. So we're being super conservative. Now, the Fed's already come out and said they're going to keep rates low for quite a while. I do think rates will eventually go up in a couple years. But for right now, rates are going to stay low for quite some time. So let's assume that they don't and they go up a half a point every single year. Now, again, we're using the HELOC like it's our checking account. So that's why you see net monthly income. $4,500 is coming in. You got $600 going out. And I'll get into true budgets here in a little bit. 
But this is if you already paid off your home, right? So now you've got property taxes and insurance and all of that. So now you can buy three rental properties if you pay cash. And again, I know I contradict myself. Don't pay cash. Finance those too. But if you pay cash, you can chop that three hundred forty-five thousand up into three properties of one hundred fifteen thousand, or mm-hmm. yeah, one hundred fifteen thousand. Those are renting at fifteen hundred. So now you've created an extra forty-five hundred dollars of income with those three properties, and you created a residual forty-five hundred a month of income in ten years because you're paying it off in one hundred twenty months. So let's say you paid it off. Let's say you're you're my age. You're forty-one, almost forty-two years old. You paid your home off. And now you want to utilize your home to pay cash for properties, which I don't endorse. And we'll get into that here in a second. But even if you did and you wanted to just be debt-free outside of your primary operating account, now you've created an extra 4500 bucks a month if rent never goes up mm-hmm. inside of 10 years. And it's all paid off free and clear. We've got a couple questions starting to pop in. Sure. Do you want me to ask them as they come up? Yes. Okay. Um, so Eli wants to know when you buy a primary residence with a HELOC, I assume there is a payment to pay the loan down plus the interest only payment on the credit you use. Uh, yes, I think I understand the question. So yes, a HELOC, and I'll get into that here in a second. A HELOC is going to have an interest only payment. So when you're utilizing it as a checking account, you will no longer fill the payment because it's your checking account. So let's say your interest-only payment is four or five hundred bucks, but you're making five thousand and dumping five thousand into it. Well, not all five thousand is going towards principal. Sometimes it is, depending on when the bank's reporting and calculating your interest and collecting the interest. Okay. But let's call it forty-five hundred bucks. So if you're just utilizing it as a checking account, you never fill your payment anymore because you're not manually saying I'm putting. You're not segregating income like we've been trained to do. The banks have are basically educating us to consume the products they want us to consume. So let's not do that. Let's use the HELOC just like a checking account, dump our money in there, and then pay our bills out of it. And when I say bills, you don't have to make a payment to the HELOC because if you dump 5000 in there and your payment was 500 you already satisfied that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So, Eli, I hope I answered your question. Okay. And uh, David wants to know, do HELOCs apply to first-time home buyers like yes. myself for primary residences? Absolutely. Cool. Yep. Yep, no seasoning requirements. So this is where I'm contradicting myself when I say pay off your home. You don't have to wait to pay off your home. So the previous examples were illustrating paying off your home before you invest. And that could take years. I don't want to wait five years before I get in the real estate game. Right. I want to wait when I have the funds. As soon as I have the funds available and an opportunity arises, let's capitalize on it. So, you know, if you do this along the way, you're going to gain access to your equity. So I'll get into it here in a minute. But for example, when you have $20,000 liquid to you in your home equity line of credit, use that as a down payment for another property. So let's say it's a $100,000 purchase price on a rental property. Mm -hmm. Pull $20,000 out of your HELOC. Go get financing on that other property. It may be a mortgage. It may be a HELOC. Sometimes a HELOC makes sense. Sometimes a mortgage makes sense on that other property that you're not using as your operating account. Mm-hmm. But every time you have twenty thousand, let's put that money into play and go buy another property. So now you owe eighty thousand on that property, and but what you've done is you've bought a cash flow asset. Yeah. So you're creating more cash flow, and the more cash flow you create, the faster you speed up the process. So let's look at what that will look like in two years. So if every six months. And I'll go through the math of what this person is making versus what their expenses are on a real normalized budget. But every six months, you took 20000 out of your home equity line of credit and dumped it into a new rental. So now, let's say if it's a $100,000 property, you owe eighty grand on it, 
after property management fees, maintenance, and expenses, mm-hmm. let's say you net $300 a month. Yep. So as you can see in this graph, they're adding four properties to their portfolio in two years. Where's your mouse? So here is six months, and then this is the blip in the radar that I was talking about. Gotcha. It goes up. This is property one, but you added $300. So this trajectory, it's kind of hard to see on this, but it's a little bit steeper. Blip in the radar, property two. Gets a little bit steeper because of the cash flow, property three and four. Well, as you can see, this is 81 months, 82 months. Not only are they paying off their home, but now they've picked up four rental properties that are netting them 300 bucks if rent never goes up and their expenses never go down. Mm-hmm, right. They've uh, created some cash flow assets. And again, those properties hopefully will appreciate in value too right. and extract the equity on those and go get some more. Yeah. As my buddy Nate says, we want to get houses pregnant so they can have baby houses. Exactly. Right. All right. So again, now you're still paying your home off in 82 months. Now, this model used a $300,000 line of credit. So just for folks that are looking at this graph, I'm like, okay, is this person making fifteen, dollars $30,000 a month? They were making $7,500 a month in their expenses outside of the ELOC interest. So this is gas, groceries, utilities, eating out, vacation was $3,000 a month. Yeah, so, that's... Now, some will say, well, you know, to make $7,500, what if their expenses are seven grand? You're not on a budget. Yeah. The only way to pay down principal is to pay down principal. This isn't a magical pill. You have to be on a budget and you have to have positive cash flow going in in order to reduce the balance. But it is a far more efficient tool. Now, again, this is if your personal income never increased over that seven-year period. Gotcha. So we're saying 7500 is the same for seven years. Well, who, who signs up to make 7500 and say, I'm on a contract for seven years, never pay me a penny more, even if I'm more efficient or more productive. Yeah. No one does. Yeah. So what does it look like if your income increased 2% each year, right? Which is about average. So as you can see on this graph, now you've reduced it to 73 months. So you shaved off nine months because you're naturally, your income should increase. Yeah. Outside of the rental income. Mine better. No, <laughs> Taylor's not watching. Yeah. Um, he might be later though. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have another question? No, right. not yet. Oh wait, yes we do. Mm-hmm. It seems to make uh, it seems to make sense to view the HELOC as a checking account instead of a credit account. Correct. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It's. I'm not saying close your checking account. I'm saying abandon the use of it. Your HELOC now becomes your operating account. It's what you dump your money into. It's what you pay your bills out of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That way, it every single penny that you earn gets utilized. In a mortgage, you never get what's called 100% income utilization because if you put 7500 bucks into your mortgage, what happens when it's time to pay your bills? You can't. It's stuck in the bank's treasure chest. Yeah. That's why they designed it that way, so that you have to segregate your income, and now you have to say, well, I will pay more, but I can't pay all of it towards the mortgage, so I'm going to dump a little bit towards it. Well, if you put a little towards a mortgage versus all towards a HELOC, which one do you think is going to get paid off faster? The HELOC. Right. Yeah. Primarily because it's liquid. But another reason is because it's simple interest. As the balance goes down, the interest charged to you goes down. No different than a credit card. Right. All right. Now, let's talk about effective interest rates because some folks will look at what the interest rate is and think that that's the most important piece. It's not. What you need to focus on is actually how much interest you're paying. But a lot of folks 
forget that interest on HELOCs and mortgages are still tax deductible. So we get the question a lot because of the 2018 tax law, well, HELOCs are no longer tax deductible. That's not true. The key word, and consult your CPA, that's my CYA Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm not a CPA. Consult your CPA, but the key word, and even the IRS posted a bulletin about this, the key word is acquisition indebtedness. So if you acquired a property, let's say you were refinancing, and you acquired a property via mortgage, and then you used a HELOC to refinance that mortgage, you didn't change the nature of that debt. All you did was change the efficiency of it by putting it on a HELOC. But the nature was you acquired that debt via, or you were indebted because you acquired the property, Mm -hmm. which is still tax deductible. So the previous law limited HELOCs to 100,000 of interest. Now it's 750,000. Okay. For now, depending on next, this election, next election, courts, tax laws, you know, repealing the, the, the Trump tax law. But right now, um, it's very advantageous for HELOCs because now you can write off a lot more interest on it. So that's what I want to calculate today is, you know, some would argue that the interest rate of your loan is going to soak up your profits from investing, but they forget about the tax advantages of it that we can itemize or deduct. Mm-hmm. So here's an example. Let's say you had a $350,000 loan at four and a quarter percent. Well, you're paying 14875 in interest, right? However, let's say your income tax bracket is 28%. Well, now you've got 4165 in deductible interest. So what did you really pay in interest? If you deducted 4165 you paid 14875 but mm-hmm. you deducted 4165 You actually paid 10710 That was your actual cost in interest on that loan. So now let's reverse engineer it and figure out what was the interest on that. Well, your effective rate is 3.06%, gotcha. not four and a quarter. So imagine having interest rates at... Three and a half, three and a quarter, zero point nine nine. You can still it, it's it's almost free money now, mm-hmm. especially if you're putting it into play and making money. It's costing you not to use it. So your investment at eight percent made you twenty eight thousand dollars. So what I say, mean by that is, let's say you utilize your three hundred fifty thousand, you got an eight percent cash on cash return that made you twenty eight thousand dollars. And this is where I get into some people want to utilize their strategy just to be debt free. That's fine. That's not the life cycle I live in right now. Mine is to build a legacy. Let me create wealth so that I have something to pass on to my kids. I I don't mind having debt as long as it's good, managed, efficient debt. But let's say we leverage that $350,000, 8%, pretty easy to come by. You make $28,000. So why wouldn't you spend ten grand to make $28,000? Yeah. Everybody would. Everybody would. Yep. So let's talk about the differences between a HELOC and a mortgage. So a HELOC typically... When I say typically, it doesn't have PMI above 80%. There's only one company out of thousands of banks and credit unions that I know of that actually charges PMI. And they do that because of commissions. They're, they're a company where they peddle HELOCs so that they can earn a commission like they would a HELOC. So they have to increase the margins to afford those commissions. Gotcha. Now, this is on a primary residence, right? Uh, if you go above 80%, on a, on a rental property, you're not going to find financing on a HELOC above 80%. But on a primary residence, you can easily get up to 90%. But even if you do 90%, you have no PMI whatsoever. On a mortgage, you do have PMI. Again, PMI is private mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. A HELOC is an interest-only payment. A mortgage is a principal and interest payment. So it's an amortization schedule. So let's say you have a mortgage of 350000 your payments fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks. 
and you know you have a really good month and you dump a bunch of money into your mortgage what's your payment next month the same it's the exact same yeah. it doesn't change with a HELOC it does change it goes down and you can earn efficiency the minimum payment does but the mortgage doesn't because it's on an amortization schedule it is designed for the bank to earn the, as much interest as front-loaded with interest because they know that people are going to refinance or sell every three to five years. So let's hurry up and get all of the interest and profits on the front end in case that happens. Mm-hmm. And it's an amortization schedule. The HELOC is not that. So with a mortgage, you got a principal and interest payment. Some could view that as a benefit because you actually are paying down principal. But if you follow a strategy, you will massively pay down principal. With a HELOC, you are liquid if you pay it down. Now, if you constantly have it leveraged and you're making interest-only payments, it's a treadmill. Yeah. You're not going anywhere. Speaking of treadmills, I need to get on one. <laughs> With a mortgage, you're illiquid always. Even if you pay it down, you don't have access to your equity unless you sell or refinance. If you sell, you've got realtor fees, closing costs. If you refinance, you have closing costs. Mm-hmm. So it's very expensive to gain access to your equity, where with a HELOC, it's free. Yeah. So a HELOC payment, for example, would be three seventy-five a month, and we're talking about a hundred thousand dollar HELOC at four and a half percent. Again, very conservative numbers. Mm-hmm. So let's go lower on a mortgage and say it's a three point seven five. That's a four sixty-three payment, right? So what you could do is have a HELOC on that rental property and apply another eighty-eight dollars in additional cash flow and more efficiency to your main HELOC. Because the more you dump towards your main HELOC and cash flow positivity, the more you speed up the process. Mm -hmm. You also have low closing costs on a HELOC. There are very few lenders out there that charge closing costs. Now, I'm not going to say that the ones that do charge, I think, $750 to $1,000 is what we typically will see. That's not bad. No. No, compared to a mortgage, absolutely not. Most don't charge any. However, the ones that do charge some closing costs have some pretty cool products. Higher LTVs, sweep accounts, offset accounts, so that... You know, what I'm trying to teach you today, you really don't have to do it. They mechanize everything to do it for you. Okay. So I would rather pay for those features. Uh, now, the mortgage is going to be, because it's principal and interest, you're, you're going to have $312.50 in interest versus the three seventy five dollars on the HELOC, right? Mm-hmm. So you do have, and that's why I say some would argue that principal and interest is better, well, in some scenarios on rental properties, I would have a mortgage because you will have principal pay down and less interest because you've got a lower interest rate. But you're also going to have higher closing goals. So you have to add that back in. If it costs three or $4,000 to acquire this, well, that $88 difference, how many months is it going to take to recoup that? Yeah. Okay, we've got another question from the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, still a disconnect for me how you actually pay down the principal. I assume it's when you use it as a checking account and you're dumping money in each month. Mm-hmm. It's paying down the principal with the money coming in. All right, let's do this. Um, let's go to the calculator. Because actually I'm curious too, looking at mm-hmm. some numbers, because um, I, I have a house in mind. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's scroll all the way down to the bottom. We did not hire a good-looking professional model. That, that's actually me. All right, so let's use an example. All right. Uh, let's say we've got $300,000 balance, right? Okay. Let's use 4%. And then I'll get back to why rates on this type of strategy is not nearly as important as we once thought. 
Okay. Payoff goal, when you're utilizing this calculator, you have to put a number in here, but we also use this for businesses when they have, I have a very specific goal. I need to pay off my business line of credit in 24 months. How much cash do I need to divert from one department to the other okay. so that it's paid off? For consumers on residential properties, let's just put a number in here um, just so the calculator will work. But let's figure out a number here. Somebody's got a $300,000 home. What should they be making on a monthly basis, household income? If they have a three hundred thousand dollar home, mm-hmm. oh, I would say I don't know, at least eighty k, a hundred k. All right, let's say six thousand bucks, right? And let's say they have three thousand in expenses. Okay? okay. So again, this is the HELOC balance starting out at three hundred thousand at four percent, which is an okay rate. It's not great. It's not terrible, but um, and we're also not showing that it's going up. And I'll get back to that here in a second. But let's say they got 6000 a month coming in. Okay. And they have 3000 a month going out. Now, some people will look at this and say, well, I've got six coming in, but I have five going out. We are probably counting your mortgage. We're not going to count the mortgage anymore because you refinance it to a HELOC. Gotcha. And the interest for the HELOC is already calculated in here. And I'll show that here in a second. Annual fee, 35 bucks. As you can see, in 123 months... This home is completely paid off. If they never make a penny more ever for the next 10 years, I say ever, but for the next 10 years, if their expenses never went down, they're at a 10-year payoff. So let's look at it in motion and see what's happening. 6,000 goes in. Here's the interest for the HELOC that I mentioned. There's your additional charges. So there's your new balance. Then month two. See, as the payment is going down, that's because your balance is going down. Now, right here is where I would say, okay, we have $20,000 available to us. Let's go get a down payment on a new home. Yeah. And if we did that, you go back up to $300,000, but now let's change this number to $6,300. Now, look what it did to the calculation. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, because you got more cash flow. Going to it. And that's if you netted 300 bucks, right? Right. So as you can see, month over month, the balance is going down. Let's say you did it a couple more times and you eventually got to 7,000. Now let's look at the number, 87 months. Okay. Now again, this is a household that at 6,000 and 3,000, they didn't have a ton of cash flow positivity. Yeah. With their existing situation because they had a mortgage right. that was soaking up 1,500 to $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a HELOC and you're actually paying it down in less than 10 years. And the key is you're liquid. Yeah. Anytime you need access to the equity that you've paid down, you've, you've got it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And just showing, I mean, just showing how after, how many months was that in this example that they had the 20K available for an investment property? Yeah, let's take this out and go back to the original numbers. 10 months. After 10 months, mm-hmm. they had 20K in equity. 20K in equity that they have accessible to them. Go use it as a down payment to acquire another property. That's amazing. Yeah. Assuming that the property required a $20,000 down payment. Right. But some of them do. I mean, like mm-hmm. some of our inventory, for example, there was one today that was, uh, well, it was like 82K and the rent is 800. Right. So you're yeah. looking at 16,000. Yeah. Yeah. As, Super as far as a down payment. Right. Craziness. So I hope that helps. Um, you guys keep posting your questions because these are good. Since you would use the HELOC like a, ch- a checking account, 
If you work full-time, would you deposit your employment check into the HELOC? A hundred percent of yes. your cash flow. It is your checking. So what, what do you normally do with your, if you're employed and you have a side hustle, what do you typically do with those funds? It goes into a checking account first. Yeah. And then you disperse it out from there, whether it's investing or buying real estate or paying this bill. It's the exact same process, but just don't think of the HELOC as a debt. It, think of it as it's a great place to store cash. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a HELOC is a great place to store cash. I, infinite banking concepts is another one of my favorites. Whole life policies, great places to store cash. Yeah. And it's not an either or situation. You can actually marry the two together. Mm-hmm. Your HELOC can actually pay the premiums on your IBC policy. Yeah. And now you're, you're storing tax-free Ooh. money that you can leverage. Yeah. That gave me chills. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Okay. Cool. Do you want to go back to your... Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, the, the last thing uh, that I'm very much passionate about um, is really just a, a personal message. It's not so much about HELOCs. I don't know. And I love the questions that everybody's been asking. So you guys that are watching, just keep them coming. I don't. Hopefully, you don't have anywhere to be. No, I'll, I'll just keep you on. No, until um, everybody has gotten what they need. So, you know, I always share this whether I'm on the phone with a client and or via my course. Uh, people are going to hear this. Um, things are liabilities, and people are assets. So when you're on, and I know a lot of people tuning in, the, the reason they're doing this is because they, they're action takers and they're people that are investing in themselves. Mm-hmm. And they want to take it to the next level, not only for a legacy for themselves, but maybe a legacy for the family. But along the way, we can't forget why we're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're on this pursuit of financial freedom, don't forget what matters most and, and some things to remember along your journey. Give. You, you cannot give what you don't have. And Bernard said this, we may give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. I attend the same church now that I did when I was broke. Do you think my church, I don't say likes me more. I don't know that that would be Christian of them. Do you think they appreciate me more now versus when I was broke? Because I still tithe. Right. Okay. Well, if I make more, I tithe more. Right. And again, you can't give what you don't have. I've had family members in dire needs. If I was also broke, I'm not there to help them. Yeah. I can give them a pat on the back and say, hey, everything's going to be okay. But what they really needed was a check. Right. Or, or some type of opportunity. I've done that too. Where maybe I'm not going to give you money. Maybe I've given you money before. Now I'm just going to give you an opportunity so that you can create your own economy for yourself. But the bottom line is, is when you're, you're developing this wealth or creating this money, it, it's not, money is not a sin. The love of money is a sin. Mm-hmm. Money is amoral. Right. It, it, and you again, I go back to you can't give what you don't have. So go ahead and accumulate it so that you can give more. You know, during Christmas time or, you know, me and Jeremy have done Thanksgiving down in the projects for people that not only typically don't even have a daily meal, but during Thanksgiving, they're getting fat and fed. They're getting yeah. a true Thanksgiving meal. Well, if I was broke, I, I can't do that. Right. I can't afford it. I couldn't afford it for myself, let alone for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Share. So, again, just as I've shared this with you, and hopefully it's been something that's impactful and been a game changer for you, share it with somebody else. Yeah. You know, don't hoard this and be the, you know, this person that just hoards all the secrets and say, oh, I got to get ahead. You know, I, I need to be competitive. And I don't want to share it with them because, you know, if they knew this, then maybe they keep pace with me or even go ahead of me. And that's, that's incredibly insecure. Mm-hmm. Share it with somebody else and compete. Love competition. 
Uh, love. You cannot love too much, and it's never a bad time to show it. So when you're on your deathbed, and I'll share my story, I was on my deathbed. Actually, I'm one of the few people I know of that I've died twice. <laughs> twice? Yes. Yeah, so I was a wow. college athlete, and I had a, a heart failure and flatlined twice and had oh to be gosh. revived in, in um, intensive care. And I can tell you this, that when when you're in those moments, and this was in college, and all I was thinking about was I want to play basketball and I want to go on to be a professional in basketball, but now I'm struggling for my life. What you're going to think about, and I promise you this is what's going to happen, is not so much the things that you've accumulated or the things that you've accomplished. It's going to be the people that you did not tell them enough that you love them. Mm-hmm. And that changed for my family, not my immediate family, but my, my mom and dad. Prior to that, we're very emotionally closed individuals, and we don't show affection and tell each other we love them. Changed on a dime. Not only do I say it every time we're on a phone call, they say it every time we're on a phone call. So we share love, we share affection. So don't wait until you get to those moments because you may not survive the next time. So share it now. Uh, Faith. You know, I'm a big believer and life is short compared to eternity. And life is a short test for the ultimate reward. So if you are blessed, give blessings to others and share your faith with others. Because if you truly love them, then you're going to want to spend eternity with them. Mm -hmm. And if you don't share it with them, did you really love them to begin with? So, anyways, had to share that. No, it's not HELOC related, but any chance it's I get, I like stage. to share. It's your stage. No, I, I love it. Um, I love everything that you've shared so far. Is this the end of your slide? Yes. Okay. Unfortunately. Well, they'll just have to see our faces bigger now. So, um, cool. I, I don't know if we have any more questions um, from the audience just yet, but I want to talk about like a. We can talk about a case study because it's yep. my house. Mm-hmm. So I have a house that um, the mortgage balance on it right now, and mm-hmm. I just want your opinion on second or first lien mm-hmm. to access the equity in this. It's a rental property. Okay. So I'd say the value right now is probably around two, maybe two fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, the mortgage balance is like a hundred k. Okay, so you got a. At least one hundred fifteen thousand of equity. Yeah, minus twenty percent. So let's call it forty five thousand. You don't have access to so one hundred seventy thousand that you would be able to get a HELOC on, or seventy if you did second lien position. So you got seventy thousand at play there that that you want to access. Yeah, the tenants that are there they pay fifteen hundred a month, mm-hmm. um, and then you know I've got taxes, insurance, and HOA fees mm-hmm. and everything on there. So total expenses are probably. I don't know. With the with the current mortgage, yeah. expenses are like $800 a month. Do you so, have another home that you would be utilizing as your checking account? Or would this be it? Because Well, right now, I just I just signed a lease to rent here in town because okay, I'm not but, ready to buy right now. But you can't deposit, you know, money into a lease. So that property, absolutely a HELOC. Do a first lien position HELOC on it. And here's the the other thing that maybe I didn't touch on. Get a HELOC for 170. Okay. You may only owe one 100, but again, it's just like a credit card. It's not a mortgage. So if you went and got a mortgage for 170, you're paying interest and payments based on a balance of 170 until it's down to a zero balance, right? Mm-hmm. On a HELOC, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You can get a HELOC for 170 mm-hmm. and your balance be 100. Mm-hmm. You have access to the 70 should you ever need it, but you're still only paying interest and payments based on a hundred thousand dollar balance. I would just go buy houses with it. There you go. Yeah, you can buy three. Yeah. Twenty thousand dollar down payments. Yeah. And still have ten grand left over. Yeah. Versus doing the second lien HELOC. When you do a second lien, how much can you tap into? The same. 
the, the same. same. It's okay. just when you do it, anytime you're utilizing a property as your operating account, you don't want to segregate income. So let's say you had four properties and four HELOCs. You don't want to focus on all four at the same time. You lose efficiency. You want to focus on one at a time. So I'm going to focus on this property. When I'm done with it, then I'm going to leapfrog to this one. Mm-hmm. So considering that, because you never want to segregate income, then you have to do critical analysis on the other properties that's, that may or may not be a HELOC. Sometimes a mortgage makes sense. Here's an example. Let's say you have a mortgage on it, the payment's 1200 but if you got a HELOC on it, the payment is 1000 But depending on where you're at in the amortization schedule, you may have 500 of that mortgage going towards principal. Mm-hmm. On a HELOC, the interest-only payment's 1000 In that scenario, keep the mortgage. Uh, however, if you could refinance it and instead of a mortgage payment being 1200 but the payment is 600 get the HELOC because yeah. now it makes more efficient. You got more cash flow that you could redirect towards your main operating account. Yeah. So don't think of it as let me funnel money equally down to these. And it feels weird because you've got these other properties that are just sitting there maxed out and they're not going down. However, because you laser focused all of your cash flow towards one operating account, the trajectory is much steeper. Gotcha. And then when you leapfrog, you actually get there faster. Doesn't feel right because you've got these, but the one that you're focused on gets done faster. So on yours, definitely first lean position. And then, um, yeah, free up access to that extra 70 grand and put it into play. Buy a couple other houses, mm-hmm. use the cash flow from those to and pay And dump that, it right back in. And just pay that sucker mm-hmm. off as quickly. And even though that property may be out of state somewhere, it is. You'll still get online bill yeah. pay. You'll get checks. You'll get a debit card and go to the ATM machine. That now becomes your checking account. Even and though it's a rental property? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it's a rental property or a primary residence. If it's the property you want to focus on, that should always be a HELOC. If it's another property, now we have to analyze whether or not it should be a HELOC or a mortgage. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And it's still like... It still confuses me too a little bit because mm-hmm. it would seem like it makes sense to me to do to use a HELOC on a primary as an operating account, but the idea of doing it on an investment property is a little foreign to me. Yeah, but yeah. the concept like makes total sense. You you don't have a primary residence, no. So when I you don't. own one, and here's the thing, I only own rental property. <laughs> I typically advocate for your operating account. And again, when I say operating account, operating account is what you're devoting your cash flow towards. I advocate that one being the primary residence. But keep in mind, that's not from a mathematical standpoint. That's from an emotional standpoint. I'm a father. I'm a husband. A father of four boys. And we lost everything in 2008. I don't want that to happen again. Mm-hmm. So emotionally, I focus on the primary residence. Mm-hmm. Mathematically, you focus on the highest cost of funds first. So if you had a HELOC on a rental property and you've got a HELOC on your primary residence, well, just like anything else, the risk is higher on the rental property, so you've probably got a higher rate, higher cost of funds on the rental property. Mathematically, you should focus on that one first than your primary residence. But emotionally, I'm holding down the household. They're not taking my house away again. Gotcha. Especially with four little boys in it. Yeah, I'm picking up. And my wife, she's important too good thing you threw that in there just in case she's washing otherwise your stuff's going to be on the front lawn no i'm just kidding um so natasha wants to know you mentioned you don't recommend paying off your home or buying property in cash yes so if you want to utilize this and i right now we're close to five thousand clients and 
I would say the majority of them want to be debt free and, and we attract people because people want to be debt free. But if you truly understand efficient managed debt, you don't want to be debt free. Mm-hmm. Because again, that money sitting, just like we, we used a tin can example, the money's sitting in there yeah. and it's not doing anything for you. Yeah. So yeah, utilize it as an operating account to store cash. But as soon as an opportunity arises, capitalize on it. Yeah. Take Put that, that money, money into play. Because again, money. that's what banks do. Mm-hmm. If we had a, a nuclear war, will we still have banks? They will still be lending money. Yeah. They always will. It's the oldest form of making money. It's called arbitrage. So that's what we need to do. We need to develop that mindset to think like bankers. And when we have money, we got to put it in motion. We got to get it out there. It needs to start making babies. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say don't pay the house off. But it depends on your life cycle. Hey, if you're 65, 70 years old and you're like, that's it, I'm done hustling. It's time to ride off in the sunset. Not die, just retire. Right. (laughs) Fine. Mm -hmm. Pay it off. Be debt free. But, you know, I, I can't imagine myself at 65 or 70 still wanting to be debt free. Now, if I have massive debt, but I have massive, massive net worth and assets, but, but this is good, managed, efficient debt, yeah. that's the name of the game. So there's two, two sides of the coin. You got Dave Ramsey and you got Robert Kiyosaki. Both are right, but mathematically one's faster. That's Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. Heloc, or <laughs> Heloc. Eli says, can we see another example if you buy a primary residence with a HELOC with 20% down how the pay down structure works. I almost got it. Here's another thing. If you can get 10% down, take it. Even if you have, I was, I had a conversation with a young guy yesterday. He has $130,000 to put down and, uh, which would have put him at like a a 60% loan to value. And I said, I'm going to save you a ton of money real quick. Don't put that money down at the closing table. When you're doing a HELOC, Put as little down as possible. Let's say 10%. So in his scenario, it would have been $39,000. So put $39,000 down. Four days after closing, when it funds and you have access to your HELOC, Mm -hmm. then store the cash into it. So now you get the benefit of putting all that money down and having the lower payment and the lower interest, but you never lost access to your liquidity or your equity. Does that make sense? Yeah. You see, if you put it down at the closing table, let's say it's a $300,000 house and you put a hundred grand down, your balance starts at 200 and your limit starts at 200. However, if you put uh, 20% down, $60,000 down and your limit is 240 and then after closing, you put the other 40 in there, your balance is still 200. So you still get the same benefit of only paying interest on 200,000, but you still have access to that additional $40,000. So you get the benefit of putting it down, but never losing access to it. Okay. So, Eli, since this was your question, um, <laughs> I would love some specific numbers about, like, how much house do you think you're going to buy? And I have no idea how much money you make, so I'm going to guess. Um, but I know where he, I know where he lives. Mm-hmm. He lives in Seattle. So That's expensive. Exactly. So let's assume it's going to be, what did you say the well, max it depends. Was? Is he in a Chaz area or not? I don't know. Chaz is like one of those... Is that swanky? No, it's um. Is it? It's it's the opposite. It's of where they've quarantined off a section of the city, and they have armed guards, and they're oh. riding. And I don't think that's where it's he an is. inside political <laughs> joke. I don't know, but let's just assume that it would be seven hundred and fifty thousand, uh, because it's not cheap there. Mm-hmm. No rate 
change if he wanted to pay it off in 10 years. Let's assume he makes, I'm guessing. So it's going to have to be big for $750,000. Uh, yeah. I have no idea how much money he actually makes. So I'm not throwing you under the bus, but I'm going to make an assumption. Throw fifteen in there somewhere. and then put expenses, or 4000 He shouldn't be buying a $750,000. No, I was going to say forty. Okay. So monthly expenses, put twenty in there. Okay. Because if you got forty thousand income, fifty percent. Um, I mean, he's kind of a baller, so I don't know. Well, yeah, but some people are irresponsible, even though they, I, I had one client that make over well over a hundred thousand dollars a month, but they spend um, eighty or ninety. Mm. Like, How does that happen? And it's not. And it's not all on assets. It's luxuries, yeah. purses, cars. I mean, I spend a lot of my money, but it's on. It's on assets. There you go. That's yeah. fine. But yeah. yeah. Okay. So. So in his scenario, forty-one months. Okay. So Eli. Now if, here's what I want you to do, though, because okay. we have a rate change in there, zero percent. So let's say he got a variable rate. So let's say he started off with a pretty crappy rate of four percent. Let's say the interest rate went up a half a point every single year. Okay. Do I have to put the percent sign in? No. Okay. Still forty-one months. It's because he's cash flow positive by twenty grand. So okay. now put a 1% in. So let's say rates rise 1% every single year. Let's say we got hyperinflation now because we lent out t- trillions of dollars. Or maybe he spends more. Maybe he spends... Well, don't do that yet. I want to toy with the uh, interest rate because I want to show people that what's most important is time and balance, not interest rate. When you utilize 100% of your income, you're mm-hmm. affecting the balance, therefore affecting the time. And that has a bigger... Um, result to the amount of interest you pay than the interest rate. See, we all focus interest rate. Now, if we can get both, that's great. But what you should focus on is how much interest you pay. And the best way to reduce the amount of interest you pay is by focusing on time and balance. When you reduce balance and reduce time, you ultimately reduce the amount of interest you pay. So at 1%, it's still 41 months. So knock it up to 2%, which is the federal cap. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to find 42 out months. All right. So later. we finally got it to change. Okay. So what this means is if we had hyperinflation in Eli's situation, he's got 40 grand coming in, 20 grand going out. This is why you should not, and I call it interest rate immunity. You should not worry about what the interest rate is. I'll take a 9% HELOC over 3% mortgage all day long. And that's because of that result right there. Yeah. You're immune because you're so cash flow positive. You're knocking down the balance faster than the, the rate that interest rates can go up. So it only changed his total payoff time by one month. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what do people do if they're buying properties that are over that 750 That's fine. It, a lot of folks think of HELOCs as something that conforms to Fannie and Freddie guidelines. Okay. And it doesn't. HELOCs is privatized money. It's the bank's money. So, and this is why it's trickier in the HELOC game than it is in the mortgage game. In the mortgage game, if, if it's an FHA loan in New York, Florida, or California, it's the same. Yeah. The limits are the same. Well, you got county limits and whatnot, but it's the same. Guidelines are the same. You may have, the only difference is you may have this lender charges an eighth lower rate than this one. Mm-hmm. Or the service on this one is better than the other one. But it's vanilla because the government controls the mortgage industry. FHA, VA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, USDA. It's the same across the board. Here's a, a way to create an analogy to make it hopefully hit home when it comes to HELOCs. Say you needed to borrow money. You ask me and you ask your mother. I'm going to have totally different terms and conditions than your mother because I trust you less than your mother. I probably love you less than your mother. So 
That's the same thing in the banking world. Mm -hmm. Bank A has a totally different HELOC program than Mm -hmm. Bank B, totally different structure, interest rates, LTV, et cetera. So there are banks that go two, three million in, in loan sizes. Well, Eli's a baller, so let's, <laughs> I was going to say, let's put a $2 million property in there. Because um, I, honestly, I don't know, I don't know his financials. He is one of mm-hmm. our, like, repeat clients, so he's got to be making pretty good money. He's got to, because he's investing in himself. Yeah. Because he's yeah, a repeat I'm client. Yeah, I'm most of it, so. <laughs> um, that's really cool, though. So, with this strategy, if he were to buy a primary residence, $750K, mm-hmm. right. he could... Pay it off in four years. Yes. If that's what he wants. But Eli's a baller. If he's making that kind of money, he's not stupid. So don't pay it off. Constantly re-leverage it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you clicked on view report up at the top, you can see how much access to his equity he has along the way. And one thing you will realize about opportunities, when you're broke and poor, you couldn't find an opportunity to save your life. Because mm-hmm. you don't have the capital to, to invest or even capitalize on that opportunity. However, when you've got money and access to money, mm-hmm. you're finding opportunities all the time. Yeah. So in Eli's situation, he's a baller. Let's say he's young. I mean, he's he's cash buying a house every six months. Yeah. With this. And if that's what you want to do. like I've used my HELOC in the last two years to buy multiple businesses. So it doesn't have to be real estate. It could be businesses. Mm-hmm. And out of the three businesses that I bought, leveraging my home equity line of credit and my IBC policy, um, three out of the four are successful. There was one that sucked. And it was the one that wasn't inside of my wheelhouse. It wasn't <laughs> something I was passionate about. Therefore, that's the reason why it sucked versus the other one succeeding. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, I don't see any other any other math questions. Okay. Can you HELOC rentals? Mm-hmm. How do you determine HELOCing residential or, okay, personal or rentals? Now, if you're buying the rentals, very, I don't know if this is their question, but they're bringing up a very important piece. If you're buying the rental in an LLC, that is not a HELOC. A HELOC is for a person, gotcha. not a business entity. However, there are really cool commercial products for businesses. So let's say you've got a, a stack of rental properties and you want to put them in a portfolio and they're all encumbered by an LLC. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can go and get a commercial product and they're they're lending the money based on that business, that LLC and the rental properties and how well it's performing versus you. Yeah. And now you take all those properties off of your personal credit bureau and onto a commercial line of credit. And you can execute the exact same strategy on a commercial line of credit that you can on a HELOC. Okay. It's the same product. It's just okay. called something different. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because the rental house that I mentioned to you earlier, that's the only one of mine that's in my personal name. Mm-hmm. So that's the only one that I could HELOC anyway. Right. All you the can other ones. only get a HELOC in your personal name. If it's not, if it's on a business, it's still the same product, but now it's called a commercial line of credit or a business line of credit, gotcha. which is fantastic because now it's not on your personal bureau. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some products out there that are non-recourse commercial lines of credit. So essentially you could have a hotel and it's performing, but then you have coronavirus and it's not performing. You could say, hey, here's the keys. And it's no recourse. They can't come after you. It doesn't ding your personal credit. You don't have a, a record of it. Mm-hmm. So now good luck getting another line through that same lender. Yeah, you're probably done right. after that. Yeah. Wow. This is this is so good. Um, you should just like get a desk and uh, just stay here. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. It's better than my office, that's for sure. Uh, Eli says, thank you, Michael. This was sick light bulb moment for me, for sure. 
Jonathan Gray talked about people out earning their stupidity, talking about uh, when we were looking at paying paying down the HELOC. Since my LLC is registered at our personal residence, can I get a commercial HELOC for business? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's an LLC. Okay, so people have been gobbling this up. We've had a ton of people watching, lots of questions, and we've been rambling for almost an hour now. For the oh, over an hour. <laughs> for the people that want to get your um, your new mm-hmm. course, where do they get that? So go. To, it's not replaceyourmortgage.com. So we've been looking at the calculator on replaceyourmortgage.com. That site is exclusive for our platinum membership. For this group, I've created a totally separate website. And I will, I will be honest, it is a scaled-down version of our Platinum membership. So you, you don't get the one-on-one time with me for this price. Uh, I can't work for $0.17 cents an hour, blah, blah, blah. Why not? Um, uh, if I could figure out a way to duplicate myself, I would. Um, so I, I've got a site, replaceyourmortgage.net. Okay. So if you go to replaceyourmortgage.net, I've got seven and a half hours of additional education and some details I didn't cover here, and it's $97. So instead of a $4,000 pack, so I, I've, we've created a group of 5,000 people at 4,000 bucks. I've got another one, another product because there, there's just so many people right now that are scared and I don't want them to be scared and I don't mm-hmm. want them to be scared of the price. And a lot of people have been impacted by something that's completely out of their control and they need at least some of this information. You know, I can't do all of it for 97 bucks because then I piss off all the 5,000 people that paid four grand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wanted to put something together that is valuable and can be impactful and a game changer for a lot of people, but I wanted it to be affordable and easily accessible. So it's 97 bucks. So if you go to replaceyourmortgage.net, you can get a course that's seven and a half, eight hours of education for 97 bucks. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's super affordable. Anybody can pick that up. Um, I might pick it up because I want to learn more about this too. I talk mm-hmm. to investors all day, like all day, every day, and mm-hmm. we talk about all the different financing strategies out there. And um, I had a couple clients a few months ago. They're getting close to retirement age. They want to buy some investment property you know, to increase their income mm-hmm. for them. It was the second lien HELOC they decided was the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. So they got a second lien HELOC and because they were able to access that equity in their primary that they've had forever, mm-hmm. um, they now have one rental property and they'll probably be picking up a second one next year. Mm-hmm. And the cash flow from those two rental properties is going to double their social security. Their social security. Yeah. You know, which is crazy. And it was money that was literally like trapped in their primary residence being non-productive. I was talking to a client today and uh, we were talking about that. He he makes about eight grand. His wife makes 1600 part-time and they have six kids. And uh, yeah, and they're in Florida. So their their expenses are in line, but they just feel like they need that additional 1600. And what I feel like we do a really good job, especially in the platinum series is we show people how to, create that additional 1600. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just about paying off the home and all. It's about leveraging and creating another cash flow asset. And mm-hmm. the discussion we had today mapped out how he quickly gets that additional 1600 so mama can come home because mama's home with the boys and girls. Maybe they want to homeschool. Maybe they want to go to a picnic. They are now, they're creating their own economy. They are the master of their destiny and their future. And those kids want mama home. Daddy wants mama home. Yeah. We can quickly make that happen in 10 months. And we mapped it out how to do that. And most people don't, they don't think that way. They think, 
well, this is what we got to do. We got to save, 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 save. And then when we're finally tired and retired, then we can hopefully live a happy life. You can do that now. There's too many opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. I just wrote a contract for a new investment property for a guy, very similar, is their first kid, Mm -hmm. but that's exactly it. He wants to bring his wife home so that she's not having to work part-time. I think she's a teacher, um, and it's just too stressful on their family. She doesn't really make that much money. And maybe we're being sexist. Maybe the daddy wants to come home. That's probably what's going to (laughs) happen in my house. Let's get real. Um, (laughs) And I just scared off any potential dates. But but it's true, though. You you shouldn't date your clients anyways. That's true. (laughs) If you've not bought a house for me, there's a chance that we could maybe go on a date. Um, But yeah, you know, just depending on whatever anybody's family dynamics are, going Mm -hmm. into retirement, having kids, it's great to have that flexibility and freedom. And especially if they have something that they've literally been paying for for years that they can tap into. The money is already there. Right. They just have to be able to access it. Yep. So... I'm going to stop yakking. If you want to chat with me about picking up any turnkey investment property or just want to see if there's anything that we can do to help you, wealthcapholdings.com backslash waitlist will take you to my calendar. And I'm happy to help you work on an investment strategy. And if you need Michael's help, I can connect you guys personally. Otherwise, check out the $97 course at uh, replaceyourmortgage.net. And we'll catch you guys next time. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience, in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started, by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book. That's wealthcapholdings.com slash book.